And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into On Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We are going to talk some Cubs spring training. You know, this is the last podcast in the last few days before the games begin. The Cubs will open their spring slate on Saturday. Uh, so we're recording this just two days out from the arrival of fake baseball. Yeah, baby. I mean, I, I say that as though I'm like above it, but no, I actually will of course, watch that obsessively. And, you know, when uh, some starting pitcher is just getting in his one inning of work, I'm like, boy, I don't know. His arm was kind of flying off there at the end. I'm not sure about that. Uh, <laughs> it will be hard to fight that uh, urge to, to read too much into spring training games, but it'll be nice to have baseball back to watch. I mean, we're overanalyzing live BP at the moment. (laughs) I'm standing next to, like, not even, not just the media and fans. It's like I stand next to executives and they're like, woo, that looked good. Wow, he's (laughs) real. But then they they freely admit, they're like, not that this matters right now. We we need to see what the hell happens in real games, but... So it's, I mean, this is, this is what spring training is for. Let's, uh, let's overreact to every single little bit that we see. Have you developed a sweeping slider yet, Sahadev? <laughs> they they got to take me in the pitch lab and, and show me the various grips. Uh, eventually, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll be on the list. <laughs> I bet they could get you from one inch of break to two inches of break. I, I we'll see. You did do that story uh, with Justin Stone where you went to the hitting facility. Oh, yeah. You did right. a first-person yeah, yeah. immersive experience for our subscribers. I think yeah. that would be fat. Like, how many inches of horizontal break can you add in one session with Sahadev Sharma? Uh, and then he's you know tears his labrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll, we will actually uh, talk a bit about the sweeper because it is sweeping the nation. Uh, that, God, that was awful. Why don't you, uh, you know, Tim? You want to cut that and post there? Okay. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. You can leave that in. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, yeah, let's start with some pitching stuff. There's just a little specific bit I want to get into, and then we'll transition to the sweeper stuff because, again, jokes aside, I think there's a bit of conversation to be had about the uh, extreme prevalence of that as a talking point this spring. Um, but let's start at the fifth starter spot um, where, you know, David Ross has said – Keegan Thompson, Adbert Alzali, they're going to be throwing with the relievers this spring. Plan is to have them in those roles where they succeeded so well uh, over the last couple of years, which was more of a 
versatile reliever, sometimes single inning, sometimes late inning, often multi-inning. Um, and that's, that's going to be very valuable in this world of eight relievers maximum. And uh, that means for that fifth starter spot where Kyle Hendricks is going to open the season on the shelf, you've got uh, primarily Javier Assad, Hayden Wisniewski, and Adrian Sampson competing for that uh, fifth starter spot with a couple non-roster guys that I think would be potentially involved if there were an injury or two. But I think those are the main three. Um, and you wrote recently, Sahadev, about how it really feels like, I think you didn't say this explicitly, but I'll, I'll put words in your mouth. It feels like Assad is probably more of the, the depth option behind those guys, more likely to start at AAA Iowa. Um, and even among Samson and Wisniewski, because of his success last year, because, uh, you know, you kind of want to see how he's still operating as a starter and because Wesneski, you might want to manage the innings a little bit more. Kind of feels like Samson is the presumptive favorite if you had to think of someone in that role today. Yeah, I I look at Samson as the favorite right now, and and I think there's there's a few reasons why he's a veteran. He he kind of showed. I feel like he showed he earned it last year. I mean, it was 104 innings, and I'm pretty sure all of those came as a starter, unless I'm missing, some, unless I'm forgetting something. He made quite a few starts. Uh, low three ERA. I get it. He, he's not striking out a lot of guys. There's nothing there that you look at and say, "Well, yeah, wow, that's impressive." Look at look at how he does this. It's really hard to point to one thing that just stands out, and and you're blown away by what he does, right? So, but it, it, that doesn't mean he's not effective. And the bottom line is results. And until he shows that he's not, you know, he can't get results, I I feel like he deserves it. Uh, but that isn't to say that Wisniewski can't come out. Uh, and over the next four weeks, just look amazing in in spring training, and just like, oh wow, this this kid was great last year. There's no doubt that he was impressive, right? I have a little fear that um, what he saw, what we saw last at the end of last year, was kind of like this is when Wisniewski is locked in at his best, and also the league hasn't seen him yet, right? So that that's my concern there. Honestly, I think he has a similar concern in the sense that he's not resting on what happened last year. I kind of I love the kid's attitude. I love the way he carries himself. He's not uh, overconfident at all, but he seems very self-aware, and and he seems to understand that just because things looked really good, the results were great last year, and he looked nasty, uh, doesn't mean that that he doesn't have a lot to work on. He uh, he knows that his four seam fastball is something that kind of scouts ding him for, and he's trying to get he's trying to work on that. He's a I had a long chat with him about just like how do you handle you know information and you know you seem to be super aware of all the information that's around us in this new age of like where there's so much data and info, uh, and and he said yeah I'm I'm aware of it. Uh, I, I work on things. I, I try and tweak things based on that stuff. But he's like, once you get on the mound, if you're thinking about that type of stuff, you're, you're going to fail. So he, he seems to understand all those things, how you can't go. You have to go out there and compete and pitch with what you have for that day. But also 
uh, in between games and and times like this when when you really can dive into the little things he's he's willing to do that I, I think it's between those two I think Assad is a great depth piece I think you wrote something about him today Brett uh the numbers that nothing really make there's not enough of a, a of a history there and along with the the peripheral numbers just like kind of give me some questions but absolutely a nice depth piece i just think it's between those two and right now i'd give samson a slight edge just because i and i'm curious i want to see what what he can do uh if he can come close to repeating last year and and give the team you know whatever 150 160 170 innings sad if i just had a Sidebar question. I was curious, reading the pronouncement that Azalai and Thompson were going straight into the bullpen, I I was caught a little off guard. I thought that was always the plan all along, but it was more just them actually just saying it was like shockingly refreshing instead of having to go through yeah. this charade of like, you know, having to ask Adbert if he, you know, wanted to be a starter again and stuff like that. And that clearly they've had deeply held beliefs about Thompson's best role moving forward. And and I ask, cause I wonder if they already know who the fifth starter is like deep down, they just won't quite say it yet. Yeah, that's it's very possible that they do. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, barring injury or just like something weird happening this spring. I I, I agree. Like I, they, they may have they may feel strongly that it's Samson or Wisniewski. You know, I'm not saying I have I know for sure they're thinking there. But uh, yeah, I was a little surprised that he came out right away and and said that because I, I asked straight up who's in the competition, who are you looking at for the fifth starter role? And then when he didn't say Keegan, that's who I went to immediately with the follow-up. So Keegan's not a part of that then. He's in the bullpen, and he said, yeah, he knows that. That was part of their meeting. I think that's when – I think Keegan kind of prepared that way this offseason, but I don't think he was aware of it until he had his meeting with Ross and said this is how it's going to be. And you know what? We've all looked at the numbers. Uh, he pretty clearly is a dominant reliever. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this means – you never look at those guys as starters again, but he kind of just, just I mean, it, it seems like it's the best role. It also speaks to the fact that they have enough depth that they don't need to overthink this. These two guys would be really good in the bullpen. Let let them go in there. I think they, for me, this this just builds confidence that, okay, you have some pieces there that you feel pretty good about in the bullpen. This collapse that I could see happening with the bullpen is kind of minimized when you have Keegan and Alzali in there. Uh, it's just there's you don't have the same type of depth with the veterans that you have had in the past, uh, and and I and I think it helps to have guys that that they kind of developed and and have figured things out and we've seen thrive in that role. You know, as you guys are talking, it occurs to me that it's sort of an ancillary benefit of the increased depth that the Cubs have on the pitching side is that it allows you to earlier in the process say, you know what. You're going to be in the bullpen. We want you to focus on that. We want you to prepare for that. Um, instead of having to stretch out extra guys in the spring uh, only to change their role as April approaches. And maybe that matters, maybe it doesn't. But you can't do that if if the Cubs didn't have three optionable pitchers competing, uh, all of them having shown capability in the big leagues, all of them able to be optioned to Iowa, competing for one rotation spot, you probably don't have that same confidence to be able to say, yeah, Keegan's going to be in the bullpen. Adver's going to be in the bullpen. You know, we're going to have them preparing that whole way. 
Um, so that's a nice side benefit of that having that the, the two things. It's you need you need that depth to be big league caliber, and you need it to be optionable to Iowa, and that's the kind of thing that we've not seen from the Cubs for a decade, really. And now they have that, and they have more guys like that percolating up. And I think you you guys are right. They probably know already who they would either prefer or expect to be that fifth starter but of course you've got to run all three of them out for basically the whole duration of spring training because you don't know who in the front four is going to feel something there at the end of march and then you need these three guys to have been preparing fully and completely committed to like yeah yeah i'm going to be on the big league team in the rotation on day one and so it's a nice it's a nice spot to be in i do want to maybe we'll leave it there but i want to I keep having to say it to myself, you know, we can't assume that the front four are all going to be healthy, you know? So it's, it's not as if only one of these three are going to make the rotation to open the season. And it's certainly not the case that only one of the three will see big league starts this year. I mean, it is just about an unholy lock that all three of these guys, barring a major injury to one of themselves, each of them will see significant starting time this year. That's just, it's just how it is. And it's, it's nice to have that depth for the Cubs. Um, okay, so let's talk about the sweeper now a bit. Um, so <laughs> so it, was, it was already, if you're particularly nerdy, you know, it was becoming a vogue topic among, you know, pitching and pitch construction enthusiasts about two years ago. Um, the, the Dodgers and the Yankees had become really significant believers in the pitch and um, were very good at it instructing some of their guys to use it and you you know i don't even know at the time if we were talking about it as a sweeper i think there was some debate like hey what should we call this more lateral a uh, little bit slower uh slider and anyway i think uh i don't know if it was you know but someone was like it's it's a sweeper we're calling it a sweeper so um that picked up usage picked up we started seeing more of it last year around baseball um the cubs had several pitchers who were uh, adding it and becoming very effective. I think for a lot of fans, um, it was Wes Neske's slider that really opened the eyes to like how powerful a, a really significant horizontal break can be in, in terms of effectiveness, especially on same-handed hitters. And now here comes the spring, and I don't know that you can go uh, 15 feet without hearing someone talking about a sweeper. So Let's talk a bit about, you wrote about it also, Sadev, but I think what people who are getting introduced to this concept want to know is why is it so in vogue right now? Why wasn't everybody adding it for years? And if everybody adds the sweeper, isn't it suddenly not effective anymore? Yeah, so there's a lot there, obviously. I think, uh, first of all, I'm my understanding from talking to people because i have been talking about this pitch for for about a year now i was re- like it, it really came on my radar last spring like i knew there was a pitch like this i i understood that i didn't know if it was in cubs camp yet uh and ethan roberts was talking about a slider that he had developed in this really cool new grip and literally the next morning, Lindsay Adler has a piece published about the Yankees and their sweeper and the prevalence of, of that in camp. It, it was a pretty big piece. I, I think, uh, you know, she was nominated for a Sabre Award for it. But it's, it's you know, just 
and we saw the results last year too. Nestor Cortez, Michael King, like all these guys that had really strong either, you know, whether they got injured or not, they when they were on the field, they were really good. And it was because of that pitch, uh, largely. Uh, and, and I remember I went back to Ethan Roberts the, that day and I said, is this the pitch that you'd been talking about? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I'm pretty sure it was Moskis who taught Ethan Roberts the pitch. And there and there were others at that camp. And for the light, I, I should have gone back and looked at what I wrote. But I know I wrote more about it at the at last Cubs camp. And uh, from my digging, yes, Moskis and the Yankees slider, this split fingered grip, almost uh, two seam slider that, or I guess you call it a one seam slider, but it, it looks almost like you're throwing a two seam fastball uh, if you just see the grip quickly. Uh, it's a, there's variations of this grip. It's not just that grip. There's also like a spiked slider grip that's different that has similar uh, actions. Uh, and I think a couple guys like Killian maybe throwing that and Ben Brown, not Killian, uh, Ryan Jensen and Ben Brown, I believe, are throwing that and a couple other people. And then there are guys that are just like, yeah, I like they they hear about it and they like talk to their teammates and they try it and it's just embarrassing so they don't mess around with it. Uh, but the, the reality is this isn't something that everybody is is doing because it doesn't work for everybody. But here's what I have kind of figured this year. The reason you're hearing, hearing about it so much is because the, a lot of them are newer guys, right, that they've brought in. Uh, Julian Merriweather, Jordan Holloway, uh, Anthony Kay. Uh, I think they targeted guys that they saw, hey, we it'll work with his pitch mix look at the way his pitches move look at his arm action look at all these things that we like about this guy we think it could work in his arsenal and and they're experimenting to see if that that that's right so i think i think that's why i haven't confirmed that for sure but in my talks with enough people trying to understand what the process is here and how they go about it that makes a lot of sense because it's not just guys that it's not just, you know, like Kyle Hendricks and, and all these guys that have been around forever aren't really doing it. Uh, it's it's more newer guys. And then and I think they just have the right coaches now in place to teach these things. They have the right systems in place. I don't think the Cubs are behind the curve on this one. I think they, they had it in place definitely last spring. And there were some guys that were developing it in the minors the year before. Uh, so it's not like they're way behind. They're not the Dodgers here. They're not the fully the Yankees that they aren't ahead of the curve, but they, they certainly uh, aren't behind it. Is it going to, uh, like, because it's so prevalent, does that mean it's, it's, it's going to be useless in a, in a couple months because everybody has it? I don't think so. Is it, I mean, a lot of people throw 95, 96, 97 miles per hour and you know, it's about commanding it. It's about being able to execute it on a regular basis. It's about making sure, um, you you use it in the uh, against the right hitters. Uh, there there's so much so many things like that. If you only have that pitch and you just throw it over and over again, yeah, it's not effective. But no pitch is effective. So it's it's all about how it's used, how well the pitcher can command it. It's so it's so true about all other pitches. It, hitters have seen a lot of different types of pitches. It's just how well it's executed and how. Uh, you know, and, and how it's used. That's the bottom line about pitching. You can, I mean, Kyle Hendricks was successful for a couple of years with just two pitches, right? And and they weren't nasty per se outside of the changeup when it was really working. But I'm just saying, 
Like, yeah, you, you can know what's coming sometimes. You can it, – it's it's all about execution. Spencer Strider has two pitches, and he's and he was just insane last year, right? So I, I don't think – I think that's – I think that part's a little bit overblown. It's just if it if it's just completely predictable, then yes. But that's – I think that's true about any pitch. I, Brett, you kicked off this segment being like, you know, what do people call it, you know, sweeper, whirly, and you answered your own question. It's – we can call it what the Dodgers and Yankees were doing like two or three years ago. And I think that's kind of the, that was like the first comment, I think, to Sahadev's story from like, or at least first comment I saw from a reader being like, oh, okay, so this is what the Dodgers were doing two years ago. And then I liked how Sahadev, you even alluded to that fact, like, I think it was a line like, there's like a buzz in baseball that like the Dodgers are already on to the next thing. And I think to me, that's like the fascinating part of this here and that we'll be diving into this spring and throughout the season of like, it's time to like see results and stop, you know, we should see the results on the field. And I think that's been, you know, I'll wait to make any, you know, declarative statements about camp until maybe like the second morning I'm there this weekend. I know that's always, (laughs) but just, it's been interesting reading from afar of, you know, not just the Cubs camp, but, you know, our friend Matt Gelb in Philly and like this kid, Andrew Painter's 19 years old, six foot seven and like wowing Kyle Schwarber and the rest of this team that went to the World Series last year. Like, where's that guy in Cubs camp? And, you know, I'm sure it'll help to have Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. But I was just reading Dave O'Brien's piece on Sean Murphy. You know, the Braves just... <laughs> They had to move a lot of pieces to get him. It was complicated, but they didn't overthink it. They're like, this is the best guy out there right now for us. They just did it. And you have the Padres owner saying, basically calling sustainable a a dirty word uh, that, you know, that's not how we're going to talk about this anymore. And, you know, Will Salmon had a great piece today uh, on Billy Epler and how he was nonstop working all offseason. And I think sometimes we all – kind of look at things too much in our Cubs silo here. And like, you know, the Mets added roughly, the Cubs spent a lot of money this offseason. I mean, the Mets basically spent uh, the amount more than the Cubs, basically what the Cubs payroll was last year. So I think, you know, as much as these are, you know, meaningless practice games, I do think it'll be really interesting to see, like, as we get closer, like, what's, real and what's not and you know it'll be fun to measure the cubs against the rest of the industry and i and i think some of our you know readers have alluded to this we've all talked about this um really for the entire duration of the rebuild like the cubs can make good moves that make sense um and there are encouraging signs but we're gonna have to see a lot more this year looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think that actually sets up nicely with what I wanted us to talk about here at the back for the bulk, which is because there's been so much turnover on the roster, there are so many new guys coming in, and so many guys on whom we focus for exactly what you're talking about, Mooney, that like, okay, you know, bringing in Cody Bellinger makes sense for reasons X, Y, and Z, uh, but at an organization level, you've still got to show that you can actually be the kind of organization that helps a guy like that be productive. Um, We have to see that. And I think we have seen that a lot on the pitching side over the last few years, particularly in the bullpen. Um, I think we have seen it a bit. I almost feel like the Cubs are starting to carve out a little bit of an area where um, they can find sluggers with swing and miss issues that maybe just need to tamp that down a little bit and can become sort of marginal contributors, not necessarily stars, but you know, I think it speaks a lot to the Edwin Rios acquisition. I think that's probably a guy that the Cubs are targeting in that same vein. Um, But because of that, because there are so many of those moves where it's like, what can they do with this new guy? And what can they do with this new guy that it has left us, you know, you can only talk about so many things at once, but you sort of forget how many guys who were already around with the Cubs last year on whom we had these kinds of focuses, like where it's like, well, if this guy takes a step forward or if this guy, if they do this or whatever, a lot of those guys are still around. I mean, some of them were prospects. Some of them were like um, complimentary type guys, but there are a lot of players, particularly on the positional side, I would say that we had these kinds of conversations about last year and they're still around uh, and you know, you don't want to overlook them. I, I have a guy in particular, I'm going to see if you guys would talk about the same guy, but there's one guy in particular who's sticking out in my mind that I kind of have to keep catching myself to be like, Hey, stop forgetting about this guy. So that's what I wanted to talk about. If there was guys who've been around already, not new to the organization this off season, but that it's kind of like, you want to tell the listeners like, Hey, maybe stop forgetting about this guy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few names that popped up over the past couple of days, and and I'll say that uh, I, I think the Cubs are legitimately not. I would I don't want to say excited or pumped or anything like that, but I I think we kind of forgot that Nick Madrigal was a top five draft pick, and that I think the reality was he pushed through an injury and he shouldn't have last year. I think if the Cubs could do it all over again, they would have basically not had him do much uh, in February, March, April, and May. 
outside of like working out and rehabbing type stuff because he admitted that he was still feeling it like during warm-ups in spring training he'd have to like pull himself and be and like kind of take a break because he could feel the pain in his hamstring so i just think it, you know i know there's a lot of distaste for Nick Madrigal. I'm not fully sure why on the internet, but but people on Twitter just really dislike him. Uh, I, I think there are qualities there that that could make him a very valuable ball player. I don't know if it'll ever happen with the Cubs. I just think like it'd be it'd be silly to completely dismiss him because last year was so bad. I think there's very obvious reasons why last year was so bad but if I had to like if I had to pick a guy I like I like Brennan Davis again concerned about his back I like Miguel Amaya I think he can hit and and if he if he stays healthy it'll be interesting to see what what happens with his uh projection and production but ultimately I think the guy that I forgot about that that I had so far off my radar that actually looks kind of good is Caleb Killian uh obviously you need to see more than live BP uh, but he he told me his knee his left knee uh, was bothering pretty much all season and got progressively worse. It was just a type of thing that was just kind of there, and then he hey, just had to. Hey, by the way, folks, it. yeah, if you're into the prospect stuff at all, read Todd's piece that he's that he wrote this up, and that's new information that no nobody had been talking about anything physical in terms of like you know injury related with Killian last year where he fell off, and that so that was quite a reveal so anyway read reads hot of things sorry keep going so i mean yeah i think that's a big deal and and his what was so weird about last year was his his walk rate went from like minuscule like what he was known for command guy uh to like suddenly like double digit walk rate uh just awful in the big leagues he just he was bad okay when his big league uh 11 innings or whatever it was were terrible um he he looks just like more confident and healthy. I think that's the delivery. If it, if it, if all it was, was his knee was messed up. Uh, and he, I think he said he got PRP treatment, uh, and now he's healthy. I'm very curious to see what he is. And ultimately for me, what this tells me is that I'd forgotten about him. And I wasn't like, Oh, what a disaster. The Cubs pitching, uh, is uh, my God, how do they, how are they ever going to have like more than four starters, uh, we, we're we're talking about their depth a lot, right? And and it's I think it's a testament to what they've created. Uh, again, I, I completely agree with what Patrick said before. I want to see more results on the field. I want to start seeing guys trickle up more often. I want to see all this talk turn into on-field production uh, at the major league level because we've seen some steps forward in the minors, but there needs to be more. But Killian's a guy that I'm just like, huh, okay. This guy was really damn good and so good that mid-season, I think he made some prospect lists, uh, top 100 prospect lists, and now he's kind of just completely been forgotten about and what is like the fifth, sixth, seventh best pitching prospect that we talk about with this team. So, uh, you know, I just wouldn't – I wouldn't write him off. We'll see. I, I think he's on the depth chart. He's not going to be the fifth starter unless something weird happens. Uh, but but he's just certainly someone that we shouldn't write off, and, and I think we should keep eyes on him in AAA and see how that season starts for him come April and May. Sadev, I believe you asked David Ross early last season when the Dodgers were in town just the idea of this huge gap between the Cubs and the Dodgers, and Ross was – I had a really good answer, and he was someone who was hired because, in his words, you know, I know what championship caliber baseball 
looks like. And, you know, Brett, I was thinking we were kind of rattling off these ex-Dodgers. I mean, the Cubs could have like 25% of their opening day position player group of guys who couldn't cut it for the Dodgers in a year when they were trying to like keep costs down and kind of reset. And, you know, part of it is implicitly saying like, you know, we can do a better job than, uh, you know, perhaps the most progressive organization in all of professional sports. And obviously they probably won't go 0 for 3. They probably won't go 3 for 3. Um, you know, baseball is not like the NBA where it only takes one or two players. But um, I believe you wrote on Bleacher Nation last night or, or this morning too of like the Cubs do have this cluster of seemingly like kind of you know, slightly below, slightly above average players. And like, you know, how many of them wind up in that spot? Can someone break free from that? And how many of them wind up as the worst case projections to your point, Brad, of like last year, the guys that we're talking about, like if this happens, if that happens, hey, you you never know. And for a lot of guys outside of Nico and I mean, Morel to an extent, um, it just didn't happen on the position player side last year. Yeah, I think I just want to toss out uh, some of the third base guys. I think the fact, what what I think has happened to me, um, and Nick Madrigal falls into this. Again, I'm hesitant on him as part of that third base group. Um, I can buy the the discussion of what happened last spring. He's come into a new organization. He's getting over serious leg injury and a surgery um, that I think a lot of folks didn't appreciate how serious it was because you hear hamstring injury. It's like, ah, you know, hamstring. But it was, it was a very severe uh, injury that required surgery and threw off his whole year. And when he was finally healthy at the end of the year, we did actually see him, you know, brief, but he was hitting like Nick Madrigal has always hit. So I could be sold that the that there's a good excuse for the bat. The whole third base thing with him, though, is just going to be a I need to see it to believe it kind of thing. And uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm being too hard on him because of his size. And, you know, but I I did watch him play a lot of second base. And it's just it's hard for me to imagine that throw playing at third. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but setting him aside for a moment, it's like I think what has happened to me is because the Cubs have no set third baseman. And because it's like sort of all these guys competing for playing time there and trying to coordinate guys and all this that I've kind of forgotten that, you know, one of these guys could break out in a big way like that still is possible. One of these guys could take the job and go. And, you know, you look at Christopher Morrell, for example. OK, he had the throwing issues at third last year. He's he's we talk about his highest and best value, perhaps being as a guy who can move around because he's so athletic. Great. That's fine. But also, he's 23. He came up to the big leagues almost straight from double A at 22, had stretches where the quality of his contact is what you look for in an above average regular. Like, you can't fake that part. You know, you you can have good luck. You can have good bounces in a lot of ways. But, like, the actual ability to barrel the ball and make really high quality contact at 22, having basically skipped triple A, that says a lot to me, and I think I have not, I think I have forgotten that because of his ability to move around and because there are so many other guys competing at third base. You know, don't forget Christopher Morrell. Like, that's, there's upside there. There is above average big league starter upside there. And he's not alone. You know, 
the Cubs clearly like Zach McKinstry a lot. There was a reason they wanted him from the Dodgers last year in that Chris Martin trade. Uh, he's out of options now, so he's either got to make the big league roster or not. He too, it's almost like he suffers from the ability of being able to move around. Um, uh, but like, there's a reason that they targeted him last year as a guy who was not going to be able to get playing time from the Dodgers, but was starting to show some power. He's only 27. Uh, his glove looked pretty great at third base to me last year. Uh, you know, still Patrick Wisdom there, who's still got, even for all his maybe struggles last year, that he had some health stuff, by the way, that explained a lot of his late, there was the finger issue, um, but he was still an above average performer. And, you know, a guy we never even talk about is Miles Mastroboni, who the Cubs targeted in a trade from the Rays by giving up a pretty darn good relief prospect. So, again, Cubs clearly like this guy, and we don't even talk about him at all because he's got options. He might not make the team, whatever. So, point there being, you got all these guys who we think of like it's a mishmash at third base and like they'll coordinate it and whatever, but one of these guys might show up this year and be like, oh, he's actually as good as we hoped he could be when we acquired him in the first place. Maybe it's Madrigal. Maybe it's someone else. But I just I don't want to miss out on that because there are so many names. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no. Sad is like he's. He, I, I guess maybe I don't usually talk that long, I guess, but you know, he had started taking a nap about halfway through. He heard me say McKinstry and he's like, Oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start dozing here. No, I think the fourth, ba- uh, fourth base, third base competition. Oh my a- God. You just invented. A new Forget position. all these other rules. We don't need a pitch clock. We don't need shift limits. We need fourth base. That is what will get the Xennials into yeah. baseball. Where's Theo? Get him on the line. Uh, I I definitely think the players you mentioned there. I mean, they're they're intriguing players, and they're. I mean, part of the reason why this team, I think we look at it as having a, a solid floor is, is, you know, none of those guys are for me, at least look, sound like they're going to be superstars or anything like that, or, or maybe even all-stars. Uh, maybe Morel has that potential if everything clicks. Uh, but, but it's, you know, you have all these pieces where it's like, okay, if something goes wrong here, here's a solid replacement at least, right? Here's And and I think a lot of that was lacking last year. So when, when we are able to talk about, uh, well, this guy's been forgotten. This guy, we're not talking about this guy. This guy could be pretty good. Uh, it, I think it just, you know, it, it reinforces the idea that this team has a lot of depth and has a floor. I don't, like, none of not much of this is something to get excited about in the sense like like oh man yeah this guy's gonna be a superstar a, you know i'm gonna make a sign yeah. Bring it <laughs> I was that's gonna be the marketing yeah. slogan look at this floor this team baby. has a floor yeah. <laughs> right right and i and i totally get like i mean it should it's i guess my ultimate reaction to that is you know it, it's better than what we've seen of late right like there was it, it got bad so early last year that it was really difficult to feel any sort of like interest in the cubs outside of people like us who have to have an interest in the cubs right so it, i believe they have a chance to avoid that i think that's the key outside of disaster 
there there shouldn't there, there should be a team out there competing and we've talked about this for months now but I, I think it just goes to show like were any of the names we really mentioned there like ooh, wow i'm excited for that guy outside of maybe like brennan davis like where's the superstar potential in the guys we named probably not there but uh but it's still it's nice to have actual players where you're like going through everyone it's like yeah that guy could help that guy could help and i think that's a big part of what's been missing and it's just they haven't had that they weren't real like some of these guys that they were putting out there last year they either weren't ready for the major leagues or they just never really were going to be very good in the major leagues especially on the position player side and i think now now they've they've kind of uh, set the bar a little bit higher just by bringing in quality major league baseball players, whether it's really good ones like Dansby Swanson or, you know, just someone that can help uh, like Miles Mastroboni uh, and, and provide depth in case of injury or, or whatever may happen. Wow. It really is astonishing the kind of where the bar is set though, just ending on a down note here of just like, and I think most <laughs> people would take this like, you know, if the Cubs are two games under 500 on like June 18th before they go to London, and maybe like three games out of the last wild card, like taking it, <laughs> book it, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I just always I'm makes sold. me think of that Bloomberg Business Week cover of the Cubs business and baseball empire, and then kind of like here we are now. Like that's a lot better than last year. That's significant improvement from last year. But still, just like nowhere close to the rhetoric that they had uh, spouted, you know, for years leading into and out of that World Series. It still kind of still boggles the mind, even though we think about this stuff all the time. Uh, the, the the floor talk uh, really puts it in in perspective. <laughs> It'll be the title for this episode: <laughs> Floor Talk. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see. How can I how can I ring this in on a uh, slightly elevated note? I mean, all I would say, I suppose, is just for folks to keep in mind too that <clears throat> for all the it it is, I guess, for all these names that we are mentioning and talking about that can um, that are being overlooked or who um, have above average contributor upside you know we're talking 80th percentile outcomes here which is not it's highly unlikely that several of them would hit at the same time but it does happen i mean we see it every year in baseball where it's like you you look back june and july and you're like how did we miss on this team oh i guess it's because they had a bunch of guys who were you know 25 26 27 who were like maybe capable of being decent contributors and uh, four of them clicked at the same time it, it happens um i wouldn't put my life savings on it but i think that's going to be a theme for this spring training is that um, coward they what's that? <laughs> I, I would love to know yeah what is the win total that i would place uh an exorbitant amount on i think they'll top 70 at least 70 wins i, I would have some confidence yeah, in yeah, that i'm with you on that uh, um <laughs> That's the, that's the floor we're talking about here on Floor Talk. This is Floor Talk. It is the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. Boy, that would be a – I guess that would be an NBA podcast probably, right? Floor Talk. Uh, I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. They write, of course, at The Athletic. And this, in all seriousness, is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. Games begin – fake games – 
uh, on Saturday. And we will be back at you next week to talk about what has happened in those games and or otherwise developed in spring. And, um, you know, this uh, this was a, f- a fun chat. And I do look forward to seeing some of these things play out over the course of spring training. And we'll we will try to have some fun with you folks while also keeping the sort of the realistic tempering of how much any of this matters in the spring. So that's it. You take care. You have a good weekend. And we'll be back talking to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.